You've got to follow your heart in your life. Life's too short and that's what you've got to do. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCur, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up, and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. All right, y'all, I'm very excited for today's podcast. I was actually a little bit nervous before I started talking to TP because this gentleman's uh, resume is, there's words I have to Google in this resume. Let's just say that. TP Chopra is joining me all the way from Delhi, India, and he is the former CEO of General Electric in India, and he and I connected through a YPM forum group, and I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for doing this. Thanks so much for inviting me, Christine. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm I'm looking at your resume, the last however many years of your life, and it is just truly incredible what you've been able to do. So not only have you worked for, you know, these massive companies all around the world, you are a part of every organization under the sun. I couldn't even spend the next 45 minutes listing them, but you have your own company, BLP, um, over in India, and you guys are one of the biggest companies over there that does um, wind and solar farms. But the cool part about it is now you guys are starting to invest in AI and how to create sustainability in the world using the AI technology. But before we dive into that, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and like where you got started. And you know, you lived in the United States for a long period of time, but I'd love you to introduce yourself to the audience. Great. Now, thanks so much for that, Christina, and wonderful seeing you, and great to be on this chat. Uh, let me just start the story from, uh, uh, I grew up in India. I grew up down south, in college in Delhi, um, and then went and worked in London for two years, worked in France for two years, went to grad school at Cornell, like you mentioned, at business school. And then for a young kid coming out of business school, I was heading to Wall Street or consulting like, like, like every other kid. And then I ended up joining this little business within the big world of GDE, called G Capital Aviation Services. Um, and it was an exciting business for a young kid. Uh, we were the, one of the world's largest aircraft leasing and financing company. We owned about two and a half thousand aircraft, Boeing and Airbus aircraft that we gave and leased to every airline in the world. So for a young kid coming out of business school, it was an incredible job because virtually every second day of my life, I'd wake up in a new city somewhere in this world uh, from one day in Sydney to the next day in Moscow to the next day in Chile. And that's all we do is go around the world putting deals together. Uh, so it was a phenomenal group of people. We were about 200 of us and we had this huge fleet of aircraft. When I joined, we were about 8 billion assets producing about 100 million net income. Uh, in about eight years, we were close to about 55 billion assets producing 1.2 billion net income with the same 200 people. 
So that was the fun years at GCAS, as we were known. Uh, and it was just an incredible time. So my big takeaway from that experience of my life was it's all about the people. It was the people that made all this magic happen. We were cowboys. Losing was not an option. We died to win. Uh, we'd spend hours. We'd spend nights. Uh, we'd work day and night for four nights in a row if we had to close a deal. But that's what it was all about. And it was an incredible, incredible uh, company to work with. So that's story number one. I'll share with you three quick stories that capture my journey of life. Um, so I was a victim of my own success. So I got shipped back home uh, around uh, 2005, 2006, when all the airlines in India were just starting up. Um, and we were, we were financing all these planes. So for all the airlines that exist in India, I gave them the first few aircraft. So we were on a roll in one year. We did about a billion dollars worth of deals, financing all these aircraft. Things were really going well. And then suddenly I get a call from uh, my then boss, uh, a person called Dave Calhoun, who's now the CEO of Boeing, uh, who called me up and he says, you know what, TP, I want you to go run GE Capital in India. So I told Dave, I said, Dave, come on. Nobody ever leaves the world of aviation. It's this little club. Nobody ever leaves. And I don't, I I don't want to leave. So he says, well, think about it. We're looking for somebody. So, you know, think about it, come back and let me know. So we were on the GE corporate jet in those days. We were flying in the corporate jet. Um, I land in Delhi and I get in the car and I just about get in the car. I drive off for about 15, 20 minutes and I get a call from Dave Calhoun saying, so have you decided you want to take the job? I said, Dave, it's been 20 minutes since I left the plane. Give me a minute to think. So I leave the plane and I come and I quickly call up a few friends and I say, guys, what should I do? Should I take on the job to become, you know, the CEO of GE Capital in India? And a lot of guys said, don't take it, TP. It's a crazy position right now. The business is going through a really tough patch. We are losing a lot of money. Uh, it's gone through a couple of CEOs. Don't take the job. So I call up, you know, somebody else and I call up three other guys and they all said the same thing. And then I thought to myself, Christina, in life, when the vice chairman of GE calls you up, you only have three choices. Either you take the job, right? Or you don't take the job and you might as well then leave the company. Or you don't take the job and you hold your PC, you never get promoted for the rest of your life. So finally, about an hour later, he calls me back and I said, okay, Dave, I'll take the job and I'll you know, move on. So I took the job. Christina, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. We were losing money. People were leaving work every day. And it was really, really tough. And I kept thinking to myself, this is stupid. You had a really good gig going. You were on top of the world, putting a billion dollar worth of deals the previous year. And now you're in this crappy business where everyday guys are leaving, you're losing money and it's tough, right? So finally, it took me about a year to turn around the business and finally build it up and get new people and all that stuff. And then finally, about two years later, I get a call from Jeff Emelt, who was then the CEO of GE and said, um, you know what, TP, we're considering you to take on the role to become the CEO of GE in India, and I want you to meet a few people. So I meet a few people, et cetera, and then I get a call saying that, listen, you know, uh, we'd like you to take on the job of becoming the CEO of GE in India. So to be tell you frankly, Christina, it was, you know, I used to joke with my wife, it was just the most incredible job in my life. Uh, it meant, you know, heading all the industrial businesses, uh, all the manufacturing companies, energy, oil and gas, water, aviation, rail, healthcare, all the GE capital businesses, which were about nearly 20 plus businesses 
at that point in time. And then the media businesses, CNBC, NPC, etc., that she had in India. And she roughly had about 80,000 people in India at that time and over 5 billion in sales. So my second story in life was that take the job that no one else wants. Because what I found out later on was that there were a lot of people who offered the job to take it. And I think the only reason they gave me the big job was because I took on the challenge and I had to fix the problem and I took that on. So that was the second lesson that I had. And I'll quickly share with you my third lesson of life and how I ended up becoming entrepreneur. So one day I was traveling in the US and those were the days when we used to have Blackberries. And I got a message out there and an email saying, dear TP, this is a message from an old man. Uh, I'm coming to India, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee. If you, uh, so if you could spend some time, I'd be grateful. Regards, Jack. And I'm thinking to myself, who's Jack? So I quickly scroll up on my Blackberry and I'm like, shit, it's Jack at Welch.com. I so knew like, it was him. Jack. <laughs> Right. So I said, dear Jack, you know, tell me anytime you want. I'll be happy to meet you. So I was supposed to meet Jack for lunch in Delhi. And about a couple of hours before lunch, I get a call from his office saying that he's having a really good time in Agra. So he's blowing me off for lunch. So I said, you know, that's he's the boss. So what the hell? So I meet him for dinner that night. It was this big grand dinner and all the dustless were there, all the politicians were there, and it was a big dinner in his honor. So I got to speak to him for maybe three minutes, right? But he says to me, he says, you know what, TP, I need to talk to you. So when you come to Boston next, let me know. So I said, yeah, sure, Jack, and I'll let you know. So some months passed, and then I ended up in Boston. So I sent him a message saying, Jack, I'm coming to Boston. I'd love to see you. So he says, come and have lunch with me. So I go to his house and Jack had aged by then. You know, he had become quite old, but mentally he was just I'm super sharp. So it was just him and me. So he showed me his house. He took me up and down the house and showed me where he grew up. And then we sat down to lunch. And it was just the two of us. And we had lunch for about two hours. And I was like this little kid asking him 2,000 questions, right? How did he recruit people? How did he train people? Why he bought this company? How did he think about managing people? You know, how did he do these partnerships? So I asked him 100 questions. And the lunch gets over and he asked, looks at me and he says, what do you want to do in life? So I gave him the good corporate answer. Christine, I said, you know, Jack, I've been here 15 years. And, you know, I love GE and I'm going to, you know, hang around here, you know, pretty long. And he stops and he says, what do you want to do in life? So I said, uh, Jack, if you really want to know the truth, one day I want to give back. Because some years ago, 300 million people in India didn't have access to electricity, uh, let alone clean energy. And I said, I want to do something about it. So he says, why are you doing up something about it? And I said, yeah, you know what? It's like, Jack, it's the corporate world. And, you know, I'm having a really good time. You know? and so he said, have you spoken to Jeff? I said, Jeff and I said, yeah, but, you know, at GE, we are technology makers, right? We make the turbine. We make the healthcare equipment, but we don't run the hospitals, nor do we run the power plant. That's not what our business model is. And then he points to me at, like this and he says, I'll tell you what your problem is. So I said, what? He said, you're scared to lose your job. And then he just starts screaming. He's like, what are you scared about? You think I can't get you a job in life? What do you, why can't you do what you need to do? And he just flips it, like beyond flips it. And I'm sitting out there thinking, bloody hell, man. This guy's not chairman anymore. So I said, calm down, calm down, right, Jack? But I came out at lunch, Christina, and I thought to myself, the honest truth was, I was scared. I was leading this crazy corporate life. You know, you, the, the, the perks of corporate life, of flying in corporate jets, you're meeting all these CEOs, 
you're meeting all the politicians. It's like a drug. You don't want to give it up, right? And at the same time, I thought to myself, I don't do it now, I never will. So that's when I pulled the plug and I became an entrepreneur to start doing things on sustainability and AI. So the third story is you've got to follow your heart in your life. Life's too short and that's what you've got to do. Oh my gosh, those were so good. We could stop the podcast now, but I just have so many questions. Thank you for sharing those three stories. They're so brilliant. Um, one thing that you said on the second story was you went into GE India and it was a bit, bit of a dumpster fire when you took it over and you really changed it around in the year. You said that you changed it around in that year. What are the things that you did? Because I think that this is like, this is so big for so many people. I mean, having employees and turning a company around, like we just kind of, you know, you're like, oh, I just turned it around. But what is it that you actually did that actually turned it around? Because I love tangibles. Yeah, no, great question, Christina. I think um, it's really, really, I tell everybody, life's about people. We do deals with what, you know, it's technology is one thing. We can talk about we have the best technology, we have the best car, we've got the best ship. At the end of the day, people connect as human beings. Then comes technology, people, etc. So what I found in the company was literally every second or third day, a guy, one of my senior guys would walk into my office and say, people don't have a chat. I said, yeah. He says, I'm resigning. And this would keep on happening. And the guy would say, you know, I've got a better job. And I've got another company offering me double what you guys are paying me. And, you know, I've got a bigger role. And this was happening day after day after day. And then I would think to myself, I'd say, you know, I'm in this crazy, I'm in the hot chair right now running GE Capital. And, you know, how do I run a business if I don't know anything about the company because I've just got the job? Uh, All the best guys are leaving. And how do you turn around a business? So that's what I did, Christine. I'll never forget that day. I got all my top, whatever, 15 guys in the room, right? And I and I and I finally turned to all of them and I said, guys, listen, I'm a new guy. You don't know me. I don't know you, right? We all knew out here. But let me just say one thing, right? If you guys want to work with me and we want to work together as a team to turn around this business, right? Then let's do it. But you know what? If any of you right now want to leave, leave now. In fact, I'll help you get another job but I can't run a business if I don't know who's with me and who's not, right? And I don't blame you guys because you don't know me, nor do I know you. And for a second, I felt like, just like moving in the Godfather where he's got a baseball bat in his hand and he's trying to wait to see who puts his hand up before he covers the guy. So that's what I felt like to see who's gonna put his hand up, but nobody did. And I think that was sort of the turning point. And then I said, guys, listen, you know, we all live together, right? You guys know much more about the business than I do, but let's figure it out. So I think uh, we finally did. We all came together and grew volumes by six by six times and we got the business back on track. So I think the first step is it's all about people. Two, it's about leadership, right? At the end of the day, your ability to lead, your ability to energize people, your, your ability to show people where you're heading is absolutely critical. So I think leadership is absolutely critical. And then thirdly comes systems, process, putting all the systems and process in place to fix the business. So those are sort of my big three takeaways in that experience. I love that. Culture for sure is a huge part of it and leadership, obviously. How did you learn how to do that? Was that in the beginning when you were part of the aviation, when you just had that small team and 200 of you all came together to get it done no matter what? Exactly. I think a lot of the learnings was was at GCAS because that's how we all won. You know, we were giving, uh, uh, we were 
you know, I'll share a quick other story. One of the biggest airlines in India is an airline called Indigo, right? They are the largest airline in India. They control about 60% of the market. And the airline is fairly new. It's barely 15, not even 15 years ago. And, and that's the time when I crossed paths with them when I was shipped back home and these guys were just about starting. And uh, so th at that point in time, when I crossed paths, it was still a paper airline, when it was just about starting the whole, putting together the whole plan, et cetera. So to cut a long story short, when the time came, they ended up going with our competitors' engines. So rather than buying GE engines, they ended up going with our competitors. So I, so as a result, I got a message from the bosses saying, can you back off? You know, if they're going to go with the wrong engines, then we can't, you know, we're not going to finance them. Now, what happened was uh, Dave Calhoun, who's, like I said, was running aircraft engines at that time and was the vice chairman, he left GE. And anyway, a year passed and uh, we were about two, three weeks before the first plane was going to be delivered from Airbus. And I go to the promoters and I told the promoters of the airline, I said, guys, listen, give me a shot. I'll, we'll finance the first six aircraft. And they said, it'd be impossible in the next two, three weeks, we've got the first plane delivering and we're way down the road with somebody else. So I said, listen, give me a chance. Give me two weeks, right? And if we don't get the deal done in two weeks, then you, know, you have every right to go somewhere else. And there were a few of us. There was one guy in Ireland. There was one guy in Connecticut. And there was me on the ground and obviously a lot of other people all over the world. But literally, we worked day and night for those 12 days to get the deal done. Uh, and we finally actually got it done with the six aircraft. So I think it was that ability for people to come together to solve a certain problem is what I really thought. So that's number one. Number two is... And, and Christina, you're a sportsman as well, right? Sports teaches you uh, how to uh, go through extreme pain, right? Uh, only you know when you're training six hours, your body's breaking, your heart's pumping, um, and you've swum for about six hours and you're absolutely dead by the end of the day, um, that you realize how much you have to push, uh, whether it's mental or physical, uh, to get something off the line. And I think that made a big impact is, uh, it's those same lessons we all learn in sport that we apply in the business world that we apply in life to to win in life. So I think uh, both these things really made a big difference. Yeah. So TP was a national level swimmer. Is, did you do that just in India or did you do that when you were in the States as well? Yeah, Christina, only in India. So I went, I swam all the way seriously till second year of college. Okay. Um, and then uh, I think my dad said to me, if you can't make a career out of swimming, this is not golf. So you've got to make a career. So that's what I decided enough of competitive swimming. But I will say, I think TP and I, before we hit record, we were talking about, you know, that athletic mindset and that athletic background, you know, most people only see like, you know, I I'm a big NFL person, love NFL football. And, you know, you only see two hours, three hours of a game every Sunday, but what you don't see is like the blood, sweat, and tears all day, every day, the pain, the training, the mental training, looking at film, all of those things. And I think, you know, if I were in leadership role, you know, hiring a whole bunch of team members, I would love to know if people have been an athlete before. I just think you have that self-discipline because at the end of the day, even if you're on a team sport, you have to discipline yourself. You have to be willing to do things that most people aren't willing to do. And I think that really translates into business as well. That's right. And Christina, one is sportsmen. The other people who I find are incredible in the business world are people who served in the services, regardless Amen. of whether they've been 
in the army or the air force, it doesn't matter. But they've got that level of passion, discipline uh, that I think works really, really well in the business world. And uh, I've always enjoyed working with guys who are ex-salesmen. Very cool. So you left the meeting with Jack and you thought, kind of thought to yourself, oh shit, I guess I'm going to have to do this thing. <laughs> You're going to have to actually figure out how to give back to your country after such a, an amazing career in corporate. So what were those first steps? Obviously you knew that, you know, and being as, you know, blessed as I am being from North America, Canada, obviously I was born in Canada, now an American citizen. I've never even thought about a day without power. I guess that's just something that we don't think about it. But in India, you know, that was a, it's a newer gift, which is so crazy. And then now sustainable energy. So how did the shift happen once you decided that you were going to leave GE and start your own thing? What were the first few things that you started, started thinking about? Yeah, I think one is what you're going to do, and one is just the mindset of becoming an entrepreneur. And totally. I think that's the really that's the really tough part because I joke with everybody, but that's the reality. I literally I tell people I went from going in corporate jets to going on a cycle the next day, and and that's a mindset change, right? Because it's something your body's not used to, your mind's not used to, and it's literally it's as stark as that. Going from you know I became CEO of G at 36, and uh, you know. Four five years later, you're packing it all up and literally you're starting from ground zero. So that's, you know, one is the mindset change of going from corporate life to entrepreneurial life. So that's number one. Number two is you realize what institutions bring to the table, right? Because I remember sitting in my guest room, putting a plan together and then realizing I can't be in five places at the same time. And then you need the first, you employ the first guy, you employ the second guy and the third guy and you build the, build the company brick by brick. So that's on the entrepreneurial side. Then on the business side, the first company we set up was a wind farm, it was a wind uh, power generation company. Uh, and I'll tell you, you're always living on the edge as an entrepreneur, right? You don't know whether you're gonna live or die day by day. And that's the life of an entrepreneur. You know, so we went out looking for sites, as in wind farm sites, to build the first wind farm. And Every time we thought we had found it, we found something going wrong. Either the land wasn't good enough, the wind didn't blow consistently through the year, or the price of the land was too expensive. And I remember sitting 18 to 20 months into the gig saying, oh, shit, I think I've really screwed this one up. I'm going to be bankrupt before I even get the first plant you know, going. And you go through those things 100 times a day because you keep wondering, because by now the team's grown. Uh, You've got people you've got to, you know, who are banking on you uh, to deliver. Uh, they've given up their big corporate careers to come because they share that vision with you and the excitement of going through this roller coaster ride. Um, and therefore, you've got to deliver. So I think we went through that whole journey. And then finally, it was a huge relief to build the first solar farm, then the first wind farm, and then the ball starts rolling along. So I think went through that whole journey of, you know, building it up brick by brick. But I think I tell everybody, you know, that if you've got enough food to eat and clothes to wear, guys, give it a shot once in your life to see what it's like. Uh, it's, an, it's a roller coaster. It's a lot of ups and downs, but it's just the craziest roller coaster of your life uh, that you experience as an entrepreneur. So that's how it was. So we built these companies slowly, you know, brick by brick. Uh, we got in partners into the companies, uh, into the wind business. We got uh, an Italian utility. In the solar business, we got in a Norwegian utility and started scaling it up. And then finally, um, uh, 
I'll just quickly share with you how we got into the AI business as well. So we were building these large wind farms and machines fail and that's normal, right? We were investing hundreds of billions of dollars building these wind farms and, and you know, turbines fail. But one day at about two in the morning, I get a call and I pick up the call and the guy says, uh, TP, one of your turbines had just burned down. So I'm like, oh shit, it's two in the morning. What the hell am I supposed to do, right? The wind turbine sitting on a hilltop somewhere in the Punis. And you're sitting in, you know, in downtown Delhi and you're like, you know, what do I do? So anyway, uh, by the next morning, the turbine was completely burned down to ashes. And uh, so we we're trying to figure out what to do. So I finally went to the supplier of these turbines and I said, guys, it's just not acceptable. You guys maintain my turbines and I can't have a turbine burning down because that's a real problem. But then what I also realized was there's no point, you know, butting heads with the OEM because I was one of those OEMs that used to sell these machines. You know, how do we change the game? So that's when we started figuring out, okay, what if we create an AI platform and start collecting the data from all our wind turbines? And given the fact that we used to make these machines, what if we developed algorithms to be able to predict failures so that we can prevent another burnout happening? And at the same time, how do we improve machine availability from the high 80s to the high 90s and see huge improvements? So that's how this little, little seed of an idea started. We started connecting all our wind turbines and solar farms, and we saw a huge improvement in financial returns. And then one day the French utility EDF came to us and said, listen, show us what you're doing, why do you do it for us as well? So we ended up connecting tons of their wind farms and solar farms across Europe and started predicting failures in their machines. So life carried on. This was just a little unit with the wind business. But during COVID, uh, one of the largest port operators in the world, they came to us and said, listen, uh, this is DP World to buy ports. And they said, listen, why don't you do this for our cranes on the port? And I had no idea what a crane does or how it works. But all we know that they're rotating machines. And each crane is about anything between $12 and $15 million. So we actually went and installed about 48, crane, 48 sensors in the crane. And using the same principles of AI and algorithms, we were able to reduce downtime and improve efficiencies of these cranes. So that's how this other journey started. So then we said, boy, if that's what all these machines people want to do, we spun out this company into a completely standalone company called Industry.AI. And now we just do two things. We use sensors for machines and we use vision. So we can connect any camera in the world and make it think like the human brain. So recently at one of the airports, Bangalore Airport in India, we connected over 500 cameras to run the whole, whole airport with Vision AI. So now we can improve customer experience, improve throughput, improve safety, security, and improve operational efficiency of the airport. So that's how industry.ai got created. And I really do believe that in the world of industry, manufacturing, and infrastructure, it's going to transform the way we operate businesses and machines all over the world with AI. Hey, 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 it's Christina. Just two quick seconds. You don't even have to fast forward this. Anyway, I wanted to let you in on something new that I'm doing in 2024. And you've seen it before, but I'm going to do it in a completely different way. So in 2024, I am starting an inspirational text message community. And I want you to be a part of it. So I know a lot of people do like just quotes, but I want to really let you in on my life and what I typically do on a weekly basis. And once a week, I'm going to send you my favorite inspirational quote, maybe my favorite podcast that's not mine, maybe a 
cool photo, something funny. I just want to let you in on my life and what keeps me motivated and helps me keep deciding it's my turn to have like literally the greatest life ever. And I'd love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is send me the word INSPO, I-N-S-P-O, to 501-222-3362. You and me back and forth, and you'll know it's me because, you know, sometimes I will forget, but... It really is something that I'm really excited about. I am ending my weekly newsletter. So if you're on my newsletter, I'm sorry, but let's be honest. We all open text messages and I would much rather text you on a weekly basis because that's how I connect with my friends and I want to connect with you. So 501-222-3362, send me the word inspo and I'm going to add you on that list and I'm excited to connect with you in 2024. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. I want to go back to a couple of things because for those of you who may be listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, AI, industrial, kind of over my head, there's a few things that everyone can take from what TP said. And number one, you said leaving, I re- you remind me of, do you know who Bozeman St. John is? Have you heard her name? So no. Bozeman St. John was the um, chief marketing officer of like Netflix, um, Bose speakers, like she's a huge, per, like very big in her world. And she talked about something very similar to what you did. She said there was no right time. She left Netflix at the highest, like it, when its share was at the absolute highest, she let left Netflix. And it was that moment kind of like you were talking about where you, she left like this corporate gig where she's invited to the Grammys. Like she got the award. She was on the cover of Vanity Fair. Like she left at that high point because she knew she wanted to do something different. Um, she wrote this book and now she's got a different stage of her life, but I think the thing about you and Bose and anyone else who's listening to this is everything that you did with GE prior to everything that Bose did prior to leaving Netflix, you can always go back to that. Like if this didn't work out, no one was going to take away the last 20 years of experience that you had. You may not be able to walk back in and knock on Jack's door and be like, Hey Jack, I want my job back. But you have had that 20 years experience. And I think it's so helpful for people to understand that like, if you've got the clothes, like you said, and you've got the roof over your head, do it. You're not, you're, you can always go back if it doesn't work out. Absolutely. I think, you know, when I look back, Christina, I think what hold what hold what held me back and what holds people back is the fear of failure, right? What would society say about me? You know, you've got this big fancy title and, you know, people say you're a failure. And I think that's what holds people back, right? But I tell everybody two things, right? One, you've got to have that confidence in you that, listen, even if I fail, so what? That's number one. Number two, it's challenge I see more about entrepreneurship. It's all about one word, freedom, right? Uh, It's your ability to think on what you want to do your ability to dream, your ability to implement that dream is what you have the capabilities for. And, you know, I saw the best side of large institutions, but large institutions don't allow you to dream, right? You are trained to do what you're supposed to do from morning to night, be an accountant, be a lawyer, be an engineer, be a thing. But I think the fun of being an entrepreneur is, guys, I can do anything. Right. If tomorrow I want to start financing aircraft or if tomorrow I want to start, you know, building another building or I want to buy a company, I want to sell a company, I want to do something crazy. 
that's what you have the ability to do. Now, I do struggle at times because I want to do so much and yet I feel shit, man. I wish, you know, uh, I wish I had resources. And that's what I think is the challenge of large corporates, right? Because you have the resources of large corporates, but the ability to think like entrepreneurs is difficult. But think about if you're able to match entrepreneurial craziness with the institution and resources of large corporates, what magic we could create would be incredible. Do you know it's so funny you say that? So TP and I were talking before we hit record that I used to be in the golf world. And it's so funny that you say that. There's a man here. His name is, um, well, he's passed away now. His son has taken it over. But his name was Jack Stevens, Stevens Inc. They're one of the biggest. Um, do you know the name Stevens Inc.? No. No. Anyway. Jack Stevens used to be the chairman of Augusta National. They are an investment firm. They're huge. And they have a golf course here in Arkansas. And people kind of laugh because they say you have when you have unlimited finance and unlimited class, that's what you get, which is this golf course called the Elotion Club. But it kind of reminds me of what you're saying when you have unlimited finances and unlimited entrepreneurial mindset, imagine what you could do. And, and for us, we look at that golf course and what they've been able to do. And that's exactly it. I love that you said that. Uh, the second thing that you said when you had started this company and you were starting with the wind farms and then the solar and then that turbine broke down in the middle of the night. In st- and I feel like so many people do this. Like uh, normally most people would be like, we got to go to G or whoever manufactured it and say, we've got to fix this problem. We got to fix this problem and it be their fault. Instead, you looked at it to be able to solve a problem. And I think the best entrepreneurs, the best people in this world, whether they're, you know, f- making a microphone or they're using an AI tool, the people who can actually solve a problem are those who are going to be the most successful. So instead of being pissed off about it and getting stuck, you said, screw this, I'm just going to fix the problem. And I think that that is genius. And people need to hear that because that is the most successful people go and fix a problem. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think as entrepreneurs, if you don't think like that, you could get stuck, right? Exactly. And that's the challenge you have. So I think it's navigating solving problems of the world is what entrepreneurs do. Uh, and that's what we're trained to do. I, I, I tell you the example, right? What makes Google powerful? If you really think about it, Google's power comes from the fact that they are collecting, I don't know, 2 billion or 3 billion cell phone, people's cell phone data every second, every day, every minute, right? That's what gives them the power to then take that data and do all the thousand things they do whether it's YouTube, whether it's, you know, Google Maps, et cetera. And therefore, what if we can replicate that with machines? What if we connect 10 million machines and get all that data to make machines perform better? You know, think about it. $650 billion goes in unplanned downtime with machines all over the world, right? Industries contribute to 20% of the global carbon footprint. So what if we can take all this data and make a better world in terms of sustainability, in terms of uptime, think about how much efficiency we can make around the world. And that's what I think we should all aim to do is, if we can do more with less, we'd make the planet far, far more sustainable. Now, what I get excited is, I think the power of entrepreneurship is getting unleashed around the world. I see some incredible guys, uh, young people who don't have all the baggage uh, a corporate guy would have, you know, saying, screw it, I'm just gonna go out there and give it a swing. And, you know, uh, let's see what happens. And I think in my next gig, if there is a way 
for us to support all these upcoming entrepreneurs, whether it's through capital, expertise, technology, and help create another 20 big large corporates, entrepreneurial corporates, uh, oh, that'd be amazing. And I hope I can do that in the next four or five years is to create another 20 companies uh, that can really drive sustainability and change the world. Oh, I love it. I love a person. I love when I get to speak to someone who's so passionate about what they do. I just think this world needs more people being, you know, passionate, whether it be about AI and solar or sustainability or whatever the heck that they're passionate about. You know, um, something that I think that is really kind of important to kind of chat about is Nathan and I, my husband, we were we you and I connected through YPO. My husband's a YPO member. I don't know if everyone as is as up on AI as you know yourself. I'm definitely not as educated in it as you are. But one of the things that people are talking about in regards to AI, we had a YPO meeting a few weeks ago and a, a gentleman who is in cybersecurity for the United States came in and was our speaker and he talked a lot about AI and the benefits of it. But he also talked about how you know, it can be a little bit scary. Is there any part of AI that you're nervous about or are you just trying to focus on the positives? Yeah, no, I think there are things to be nervous about, but again, it's a little less, less nervous because I only deal in the industrial world okay. with machines. It's not with personal data, but I think on the personal side, I think there's a lot to be concerned about. Oh right? my gosh, it was, I, we I, walked out of there scared to death. I was like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Correct. You know, when you see people's faces, you know, being, being morphed and, you know, me speaking German and Japanese as though I was a German or Japanese, you know, it's phenomenal what this technology can do. But I tell you what the positive side, what I get excited about, right? The other day I was with um, um, a CEO of one of the biggest steel companies, right? And he's got multiple factories. Each factory, you know, uh, takes anything between billions of dollars to build, right? So there's a lot of asset value in these factories. And, you know, he was saying to me, he says, listen, I sit out here at headquarters, every once a quarter, we'd have a review to find out what my plants are doing, et cetera, right? So he said, what if I can, you know, what if there's a way for me to know what's happening on a daily basis? So what we decided to do was to see if it's possible, if we use generative AI on industrial data, what would happen? And everybody talks about chat GPT, about writing, you know, articles and blogs. But I said, what if we give them vibration data, temperature data, flow data, pressure data of machines, and let's see what happens. And what I'm getting excited about is the fact the results are phenomenal, right? So the difference between chat GPT 3.5 and 4 is vast. We're seeing a massive difference. But what we found was we told the CEO, if we create a little box, and he could come in the morning and say, uh, how did my steel factories perform? And if we could show him that in the last 24 hours, he produced X million tons of steel, you know, there was 10% lower energy in the arc furnace, the caster bullet failed three times, and 20 people didn't show up at work, and they had these quality defects. And you can imagine the power of running companies where a guy sitting in the United States knows, for example, how much wind turbine generation there was in the US versus China versus Japan. How many times did the turbines fail? Was it a bearing failure? And what we are seeing is GPT and AI can connect the dots. So if there was a bearing failure five years ago and you have a bearing failure now, it's able to connect the dots and say, we saw that problem five years ago. This is how you need to fix the problem now. So I think that's where I get excited that this could be an incredibly powerful tool that can change the way we do manufacturing around the world. 
Absolutely. So freaking cool. I love it. It's, it's so exciting. Once you start, obviously I'm in the beginning stages of learning all about AI and obviously I don't know as much as you do, but just the, the conversations that people are having of how helpful it can be just to like, I have a girlfriend who uses it to know how to pack for her baby. Like, Hey, we're going on. a. <laughs> I swear to you. She's like, I, we're going on a two week trip. What should I remember to pack? And it, it'll like within two seconds, it'll pump wow. out exactly what you need to pack. And then there's something like yourself about knowing if a, how a turbine is going to react in Japan or China or whatever it is. It's just so cool. Um, so one of the things that you and I were chatting about beforehand, before we hit record was the fact that you decided to have family later in life and that you're now obviously an entrepreneur, your wife's retired. What would you say are some of the best like personal lessons that you've had over the last few years and obviously having such high achieving jobs, but what are some of the best kind of advice do you have for those of you know, for my audience listening, who has, um, you know, put perhaps business before family for a long period of time. Yeah, I think as we grow older, Christina, priorities change, right? When we are down, you know, I guess the, at our age now, we are look back at it. Life's not that long if you really no, think about it. No, it's so it, short. Right? And all of us are inconsequential in the big scheme of things, right? Uh, what amazes me is that. Even if you're Jack Welch, right? Uh, Jack passed away now. It's been maybe two years, a year and a half, two years now. I'm forgetting somewhere around two to three years. And if I go to kids today and say, you know, Jack Welch, they have no idea who Jack was, right? And I think to myself, he was God for us, right? When I was a little kid, an associate at she, I remember shaking his hand for the first time and I was just this, just the water boy in the company. It was like my day was made. I was like, wow, I shook his hand today. So that's what it is. And, and yet so many years later, no people, the next generation won't remember the guy. So it's, it's as a result of it, it makes you think, what's life all about, number one. Number two is break life up into different segments, right? From you do college and you just start out your career from 20 to 30. You have 30 to 40 to learn, right? 40 to 50, you get into your prime. And then 50 to 60, you start slowing down. And that's life. That is it. It's just four 10-year blocks. And the game is over, right? And obviously, everything after 60 is icing on the cake. And, you know, some people want to chill out. Some people want to carry on working. But that's, that's a separate story. So it's really about four 10-year periods. Now, when you break it all up from that perspective, then you start thinking and taking life very differently. In terms of what do you really want to achieve, number one? What is it really that gives you happiness? What is it really that you want people to then remember what you gave people? What what do you want? How do you want people to remember you, right? So when you look at it from that lens, uh, I remember my dad used to tell me something. He says, Steve, you remember one thing, right? When you're the CEO of GE, remember one thing. People are coming not to meet you. They're coming to meet the chair, right? So... Yeah, I don't think that they're coming that you know you've done something really great that they're coming to meet you about. So when you put life with that lens, you really think about it. What's really important is family, because those are the only guys who are gonna be with you all the way through the journey, right? Uh, 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 and it's gonna be family and close friends, right? And I put both of them in the same bucket. So I think that's super important to um, help people be good to people. You have no idea how much that comes back 
to help you at some point in time. I have guys calling me up out of the blue saying, oh, you know, you opened that door, you gave me that job. I have no idea. I have no idea what I did. But I feel really happy that, okay, great. I helped somebody in my life and that's good, right? And three is, you know, there's going to be a lot of bullshit in life, right? You'll have people who are for you. You'll have people against you. That's the world, right? It's not an easy world. Um, you know, uh, you're going to be hitting roadblocks all the time. You're going to have people who are negative all the time. You just got to keep your head on the shoulders and just do what you love and what you enjoy and just carry it on despite what the world's happening. You know, I sometimes feel really sad to see what's happening in the world and you sometimes feel, shit, what's wrong with human beings? It's, you know, we're here to have fun, we're here to grow. And yet, on the other hand, you see all this, you know, destruction stuff around the world, which makes you feel a little sad. But, you know, I think that's sort of my three bits of advice for people all over the world. I love that. How did you, this, and obviously I want to value your time, but how have you been, like, just speaking with you has just been like the best, I know it's early in my day, but this is like the best hour. I thank you so much for doing this. I just love it. Have you always been so positive and optimistic? Do you think that that is something that you were born with? Or did you, how did you innately, like you are just so kind and so passionate and so happy. Like how, how did that, like, were you born this way? (laughs) Good question. No, I love it because it's true. I mean, for a person who has had, your status in life for a person who has literally accomplished all the things that you have accomplished and are still accomplishing. I mean, you're just, you just want to just serve and give and you're so happy and you love what you get to do and not, and I've, I mean, I've spoken with a lot of very successful people and not everyone is like this and not everyone is so giving of their time. I mean, my God, it's like 11 o'clock at night in India and you're just like stoked to do this. (laughs) So like, how lucky am I? But like, do you think that's something you, you are innately born with or is, is did something happen in your life that just said, I am going to enjoy this experience? What is that? Yeah, no, I think, like I said, in different parts of life, you learn different things. I think sports has a lot to do with that, Christina, frankly. In my life, I think uh, sports have had a lot to do with that. Just, you know, you've got to be fighting every day and you've got to have that passion to win. Otherwise, you don't do sport, right? It's that drive to win and, you know, you're going to fight to win and, you know, you got to train. So I think that's one big thing that's really helped me a lot. Two is, I think, family. I think, you know, uh, the influences you have with your parents uh, and close family have a big influence in the way you turn out, right, uh, in life. And three is circumstances, right? Uh, uh, I went to a boarding school for a couple of years and, you know, you're on your own in a, in a hilltop on your own with other, other kids and you've got to learn how to survive in this world. Uh, and I think, you know, challenges keep coming. There's no shortage. Who knows? I might still fail as an entrepreneur. So, you know, you're always pushing the envelope. But I think you've got to just be strong in your mind. That's the main thing. You've got to be strong because, you know, there'll be enough people who are not thinking the way you are. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think I always think that there are enough good people in the world who, if you have a vision of where you want to go, uh, there'll be enough people who want to come along the journey. And that's the fun of it. And, you know, people think, oh, it's all about the money I make. Dude, entrepreneurship is not about the money. No, it can't be. Believe if that's me. the only thing, you'll quit. <laughs> exactly. It's way too difficult. Believe me, 
it's <laughs> far easier to be in the corporate world and make money than be an entrepreneur and make money. So it's not about the money for sure. I think you've got to have a bigger purpose, right? And if you don't have that bigger purpose, I think that's what keeps you going. I know that's sort of the way I think about it. It's not a great answer, but that's just- No, it's a great mind. answer. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Have you had um, mentors and like coaches and stuff along the way? Like, is that like a, been a big part of your journey? Absolutely. I think um, I've, I've come across some really good people and I've never had that formal mentor stuff, but just people I've looked up to and I've learned a lot from them, right? I had a gentleman by the name of Henry Huxman, who used to be the CEO of GCAS, right? Um, uh, and he unfortunately passed away some years ago with cancer, but he was just an incredible leader. And I learned a lot from him. He was tough. He was tough. Boy, if you didn't form, boy, he didn't work because he would he would whack you, but he was the kind of guy that if you worked hard and you performed, he would just about do anything on this planet for you, right? He would just do anything on this planet for you. So I think, you know, having him as mentors, just seeing how he worked, see how he, you know, treated people, see how he coached us. He was like that tough coach on the, on the sports field who hammered you really, really, really hard, but he also knew how to celebrate the day you won the goal. So I think, you know, I learned a lot from him uh, uh, in, in this whole journey. And the other thing is good mentors in life. And this is, I think, another important lesson that I've learned. As you climb up the ladder of life, right, you need people to open doors. You might be the smartest guy on this planet. You might be the coolest guy on the planet. But as you grow up in life, you need that one guy who opened the door for you, Right. And those are your true mentors or those are your true, you know, people who care for you, who recognize that you have some capabilities and open the door. And I think in my life, I've had those kinds of people, right? Like Henry, and I'm sure I wouldn't have got the job at C of G if it wasn't for Henry, because, you know, somebody would have called Henry and said, listen, you know, do you know anybody who, who can take the job? And then you would have said, you know, he's my guy. So, you know, check him out. So you need those kind of guys who just say that, right? And open that door. You know, Jeff Melt, I learned a lot from him. Uh, traveling around. Uh, so I think in life, you know, your mentors don't only have to be work people. It could be your coach. It could be uh, your music teacher. It could be your, you know, your teacher at school. So I think at every stage of life, you come across these people, guys, latch onto them, right? If you find somebody and you will know that they, you know that they really care about you and they really believe in your success, uh, you know, learn from them and take advantage of that relationship. Well, this was such a gift. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it so much. I just love the interview. I'm so excited for people to hear this. Is there any way for people to like, I know a lot of my people have like social medias or followings or whatever. Is there any way for people to get a, get a hold of you or connect with your company or just watch your journey in any form or fashion? Is there any type of connection that you have for people? Christina, absolutely. I, I'm not on social media at all. I have no idea how to use it. The only thing That's I have perfect. Is account, That's the one thing right? I know that you don't. Perfect. <laughs> That's right. So I don't do anything on the social media, but I have a LinkedIn account. Oh. And uh, so if anybody can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, Christina, I'm happy for you to share my email address if somebody wants. Not oh a problem at all. Absolutely. Well, I will absolutely link your email address and your LinkedIn account. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to do this. I thank you so very much. And if I can ever do anything for you, I don't know what that would be, but I appreciate you so much. Thank you for doing this. 
No, thanks so much, Christina. And believe me, given the fact that you played pro golf for years, unreal. That is amazing. Well, so really fabulous. And it's been just fantastic talking to you. And thanks so much for calling me onto your show. Oh my gosh, I loved it. Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina Laguerre. I'll see you next time.